0: Hey, I'm Darlington, and I'm here with my co-host and fellow puppy parent. Jordan Crook. That's right. We love dogs. We have dogs. We're dog people. We are and through. Roar. We, uh, that was not a real dog, though. Did kidding. that prove it? Are the bona fide? That's your bona fides. How do you pronounce that? Anyways, this will all go on the cutting room floor. That's good. So we're here. Unfound, which is the great podcast from TechCrunch. I would say the greatest podcast from
1: TechCrunch. Got to be the number one podcast, yeah. not just from TechCrunch. I think it's probably just the top podcast. Yeah, globally period.
0: translated into. Well, actually, it's not translation. So Fifty-eight that, just...
1: different languages.
0: <laughs> it is such a great podcast because every week we speak to a different founder, and that's what you want to hear, TechCrunch listeners. You want to hear about founders like yourselves who are building businesses, taking names kicking ass, just doing great at this startup thing, and sometimes not doing great, which is great, which is part of the appeal of the show. They tell us all about the hard truths of being a founder and an entrepreneur and a boss.
1: Yep, peaks and valleys.
0: Yeah, and this week we have both of those with our guest, Celine Hollywa, who is the CEO and founder of Cellular Longevity, which is the brand new name for her company, Which, when we recorded, was called Loyal for Dogs. But in an amazing twist of time and circumstance, Loyal for Dogs is now a brand name underneath the parent company of Cellular Longevity. And you'll hear why when we talk to her. Because Loyal for Dogs is all about developing drugs to extend the life of your pooch. Not only just extend the life, but also the quality of life. So to give you more healthy, happy years with your pups. But Celine has a larger goal of doing the same thing for humans, and that's kind of how she got started in this. So I think that is why she's gone ahead and, and changed the name of the startup. To reflect and the larger vision.
1: Daryl also has a larger goal, which is to work for cellular longevity, formerly known as Loyal for Dogs. I mean, you're just That's trying right. to get a job there, right?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to get a job there You're right fully now. converted. Is...
1: I can hear the marketing in your voice as you talk about it.
0: I mean, I don't know that I would want to do that job, but if Celine wants to hire me as just kind of like a general kind of like <laughs> ideas, <leader>. ideas man.
1: <laughs> Innovator.
0: I'm down for that, you know, with no actual responsibility to a day-to-day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hit it. Let's go to the show. Hey, Celine, thanks for joining us.
2: Glad to be here.
0: So we're very excited to talk to you because, I mean, in part because both of us are proud dog parents. Mm-hmm. But I mean that's not the only reason. <laughs> you're you're the main attraction. Some of us better parents than others. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Jordan. We can compare notes on who's doing better. I think I was pretty good with my first dog, but my first dog is a different story. The new one the new one is causing me some trouble of late, but we can But talk don't about you that, always maybe. get adult dogs? We rescue when they're past the puppy face so they've got kind of like They're house trained typically when they come to us. But they have other issues, right? Celine, I don't know about, do you want to jump in on this? You have a dog behind you, which is wonderful. I do.
2: I have Wolfie. She's fast asleep.
0: So adorable. Looks very well behaved.
2: She's a very good girl. Oh,
0: that's good. Nice. So do you have tips for Jordan to get her little puppy under control?
2: You know, unfortunately not. (laughs) Did you get Wolfie as a puppy? No. So I got her as a rescue last year during COVID. And hilariously, my team, my team will babysit her when I go travel. And they each have taught her like a special trick. (laughs) And they are all much better dog trainers than I am. So they get all the credit for Wolfie's good behavior.
0: See, it takes a village, Jordan. It does. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I got Jet when he was like a little more than two months old, just like a tiny nothing. And I was doing all kinds of training with him when he was a nothing. And he was like, I don't, none of this is relevant to me. And I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, this is so easy because he was sleeping like 21 hours a day. And then as he's gotten older, I've been more chill. And now it's like, oh, all those things that I should have been doing now, I was doing before when they didn't matter. Right. So now he's like awake 21 hours a day. And like, that <laughs> is... Way more energy than I do.
2: So next podcast will be as a training startup is what you guys are yeah, saying.
0: Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Tailor this sure. to our
1: needs for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you bring up aging, and that's what Loyal's all about, right? Aging for dogs. So when I heard this, because. We hear a lot about life extension and longevity, especially in Silicon Valley, but you usually hear about it for people. So, Celine, I just kind of like spoiled it, but can you tell our listeners a bit more about what Loyal is and, and why you started the company?
2: Yeah. So, Loyal is developing drugs to extend dog lifespan and health span So, basically, we're working on developing FDA-approved therapeutics that will give you more years with your pet, also that are healthier and ideally delay or dampen or hopefully prevent uh, the onset of common age-related diseases in dogs, like many forms of cancer. And I got into this actually from the human side. So I've been working on biology of aging and aging drug development since I was 19 and kind of had an existential crisis that, in my opinion, we don't have free will because you can get sick with many age-related diseases and there's nothing anybody can really do for you for the majority of them. And then I kind of happened into dogs a couple of years ago and been running on this ever since.
1: So wait, what did you study when you had that existential crisis? What did you end Mm -hmm. up going to school for?
2: Yeah. So I had actually gotten a full ride to UT Austin for art. Uh, And then for reasons I have no idea why, I decided to do an internship in neuro-oncology clinic before the summer before undergrad. And I met a number of terminal patients, and one I really bonded with, and I had this crisis and uh, switched from art school to neuroscience, which UT was very unhappy about because I dragged my scholarship with me, <laughs> which I would not have qualified for in a neuro department. And then I finished that out and I started a PhD at Oxford in economics of expensive medicines and then dropped out to work with Laura Deming at Longevity Fund. And it was at Longevity Fund that I had the idea for Loyal and eventually kicked it off.
1: Wow. Another underachiever yeah. on the podcast.
0: <laughs> Sure. (laughs) One of these days we'll have somebody on who hasn't accomplished very much. Although I think it kind of. (laughs) I mean, it like goes
1: (laughs) against the grain, doesn't it? What we need to do is we need to get like one of the like pitch off companies that's like super pre seed. That's like, I don't even have a website. Like, what do you guys think of my idea? Like, that's what we need.
0: Okay. We'll do that for your ego at some point. uh, For, For our ego.
2: I've accomplished yeah. annoying a lot of academic institutions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is a significant accomplishment in and of itself, even I beyond anything else. You that did, accomplishment,
1: though. yeah. More than yeah.
0: Most. But how do you like, did you have even before that kind of like a predilection for biosciences or anything like that? Or like was it just kind of purely your experience with the patient you mentioned?
2: It's an interesting question. I think if you look in retrospect at, you know, my kind of middle high school career, it seems relatively obvious. Like I was did the science fairs all the time. I did very well at them. My mom has a public health background, although she doesn't practice in it. And I did always like I have a very strong memory of me and my dad walking around the block or our house when I was growing up and talking about various scientific topics. So I think I always had that interest, but I was honestly very unmotivated. Like I was not a like a tiger teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I I really wasn't into any of that basically until I got this motivation. And then when I got the motivation, then I just kind of caught up on everything. It's like my first year at undergrad was honestly really challenging because I had never worked hard. I had never studied hard. I really just kind of like spent all of high school in the art room. It's always really funny catching up with people from high school. And they're like, I was literally like in the bottom 10 of my class. And they're just like, what the, what happened to you?
0: That's amazing because I think you, you get this idea that it's typically people who are like always kind of like honor society and go-getters who like end up in those positions or whatever and I think also personally it's like for me I'm just waiting for when that will happen for me like Jordan when will I have to try <laughs> expend any effort
1: I don't have the answers you know I don't
0: <laughs> yeah we <laughs> we're still skirting by just <laughs> just <laughs> coast just big, big coast
2: I think it was honestly kind of helpful right because I got it yeah. all out of my system before I was 18 and then I I mean I had some fun in college but I worked a lot during college and it was fine cause, like whatever I did all the partying for four years prior
0: nice yeah that was like the real preparatory phase it was like making yeah. sure you're ready to work when the, when the work needs to yeah. yeah
1: I feel like I didn't work hard at school or party hard at school I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jordan has no recollection of those. Maybe
1: I was partying hard. That's why I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, exactly.
0: So why Why though? Like, I'm curious about the the switch to dogs. Like you mentioned, Wolfie. Have you have you had dogs growing up, or was that kind of like a recent thing too that you came into?
2: No, I mean I'm a huge animal person. I've been mm-hmm. uh, vegetarian my entire life. My parents are vegetarian. I grew up with 15 cats, four dogs. We used to rescue wild animals when I was a kid. I have pictures of me with. Animals that like, looking back, was definitely a rabies risk. (laughs) (laughs) The picture means a wild squirrel on my shoulder when I'm a kid. (laughs) We would like rescue from the side of the road. But I never would have started another animal company, if that makes sense. Like I was very straight line on wanting to work on aging. I've always felt strongly that my kind of contribution to the world will be either, you know, helping bring the first age drugs to market or failing spectacularly, but at least facilitating the next generation by telling them what not to do. I've always had conviction on that. I landed on dogs because, well, there's a lot of reasons that I'm happy to get into that are relevant, but kind of the TLDR is dogs offer a way to, in my opinion, develop aging drugs more quickly and with more insight into the biology than you might think, without spending tons of money. Like So basically, if I had a billion dollars, I'd probably go straight human. I don't have a billion dollars. Therefore, this is the best way to do it on a time scale that makes sense with like, con- the constrictions that you have when you're building a venture-backed company.
0: Yeah, that makes a
1: lot of sense. I assume there's less regulation too, right? right? There's
2: not less. So you still have to get FDA approved, but it's quicker because dogs have a shorter lifespan.
0: Right, And right. it's less
2: expensive, right? So you have to do a huge, you know, multi-thousand people studies in human medicine versus a dog clinical trial often be, you know, less than a thousand. And that just saves so much money. Like you can actually, we can actually run a clinical trial. Like we are running an observational clinical trial right now and we're early stage startup, right? You'd never be able to do that in human medicine.
0: No, that's great. And it's also like this came up recently because mRNA, like the source of mRNA, they were used often in veterinary medicine for, well, not often, but they were used, they were used in active veterinary medicine for years prior to being introduced for like human use, right? So I think... That was a path for that to to prove it out and just say like look this can work and this and we can learn lessons from this that are applicable in like human biology as well unless i'm mistaken but i think I, i'm not
2: familiar with the mrna story but that kind of thesis in general mm. that proving out things in dogs and then bringing it to people it's actually very common in cancer uh, yeah. because it's very hard we, you do a lot of research and basically takes a lot of work to get a drug to people so we have to do research in model organisms and the kind of the canonical model organism is the mouse But mice are actually a terrible representation of people. They basically all die of cancer because they're super inbred. They don't have immune systems. They live in these boxes their entire lives. They're also just mice, which is just like generally uncorrelated with humans. So there's been kind of this whole movement to look at cancer drugs in dogs, which develop cancers naturally, as we do, generally speaking. And something's efficacious against dog cancer is at least a higher probability that it will be also efficacious for human cancer. So this isn't, and I didn't come up with the aging drug dog to human thesis. Also, is was actually a thesis that was on the academic side. The Dog Aging Project at U Washington, basically kind of the novelty that I brought in was actually you can build a company around this and actually you can build a consumer focused pharma around this. You can actually be like very, the kind of the idea of bringing aging to the general population with this kind of medium that's a lot more i think appetent to the average population than like the thousand-year lifespan
0: (laughs) yeah it's a lot (laughs) less ethically fraught right like you do there's not so many questions that come into it because we hear i mean we see both sides of it right especially in media in this particular industry like you see a lot of optimism from inside the technology communities but then you see the other side from a lot of media and whatever else observers with this like extreme pessimism about like what like Peter Thiel wants to go get the blood of teenagers and make himself live forever or whatever. Like, it's like, we see both sides and you can see how that would have a lot of potential speed bumps and really just affect your ability to move quickly or do anything, right? But with dogs, it's like, Listen, everybody loves their dogs. And I don't think anyone's going to say no to like a few extra years with your dog, especially if they're healthy, happy years, you know?
2: No, totally. And I think this has actually been kind of one of the, the fundamental flaws of the aging field. It's a huge branding issue, right? It's all focused on lifespan and living longer and kind of all these access and these things that, you know, the average American individual can't afford. But actually aging drugs are just basically preventative medicine for multi-aging related diseases at once. It's very non-controversial. It's just when you formulate it that way, it's not nearly as sexy as like Peter Thiel's blood boy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about this too. My one dog, I have two dogs and one of my dogs is now 10 to 11 and like a medium-sized dog. And I'm, so it's like, it's, it's very easy to see how that would be appealing, and how if you were able to bring something to market that was a preventative drug that my vet could prescribe, like in the next couple of years, I, I would. There would be no question. I would definitely do that, right? So I think that must be really appealing to your investors when you say, like, look, like this is the carrot of like where we could turn around to actually be generating revenue. Is, is that kind of? What you do go in and tell them or how does that work with those conversations?
2: Yeah, so it's a couple. It's, it's really funny. It's really binary with investors. They either are just like, oh, my God, anybody would pay anything for this. Like, this is a massive market. Or they don't believe me at all. And they're like, I don't know if you can build a billion dollar company around dog aging drugs to And I have never once converted somebody who didn't believe in the market to believing in the market. But to be fair, I, that might be a better reflection of just me and like <laughs> maybe not being the best at pitching new markets. Cause you don't have to do this in biotech, right? Like yeah. if you have a cancer drug, nobody questions whether there's a right. market for the cancer drug. It's like, can you do it?
0: But is it that latter group? Are they dog owners or are they just like... No. Yeah, I've been every dog owners.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it feels like that should be
1: like easier now though, right? Because isn't it like it's even been like a meme in the last few years, right? That like millennials are spending money on their houses so that they can get a yard for their dog. It's gotten so saturated it's not even like an analyst investment thesis. It's like, yeah, we want good food for our puppies. Like we want happy homes for our puppies, like so it just seems like it would it would be silly for investors of all people to not understand that that market is there.
2: Yeah, I mean we have plenty who do, but it's definitely there's there's no comp right. Like mm. this has literally not been done yeah. before. Like in terms of like bringing it to market and having an approved drug here, so I can't be like, look, this guy makes five hundred million a year. You have to come on a journey and believe me. (laughs) Yeah, right. right.
0: But there must be some sort of like roughly equivalent comps, right? Because I'm thinking even now when I call my vet clinic and they're like, Can you hold for a second? I'm like, sure, great. And they put me on hold. And then what plays is aging is a is a disease. Like it's literally like a pre recorded message of like, your dog (laughs) is getting older. (laughs) Uh it's Bloor uh, Animal Hospital here in Toronto. It's a great, Absolutely. great vet. actually. I really like them. But Ready reaching to out. forge a partnership. Yeah. yeah. But they, they launch into this explanation about how a lot of the symptoms of aging are actually preventable diseases. And then you can counter them with various treatments and you should get the blood work done and everything, right? So, you know, and I think that's driven by... I believe they're a Merck customer, which disclosure my brother is a drug salesman for Merck and also a veterinarian. But yeah, oh, amazing.
2: Like, you're dropping the connections. I love that you go
1: to a <laughs> different vet.
0: Well, he's not a practicing veterinarian because he's a because he's a drug salesman now. He stopped practicing. Actually the reason he stopped practicing was because he realized being a vet was mostly killing old dogs when they come in at the end of their yeah. life, which was really disheartening, right?
1: Vets have like one of the highest suicide rates of like any profession for a myriad yeah. reasons reasons. Yeah, it's one of did. the many facts in my mind.
0: But it seems like those are like, there's at least a marketing effort from existing drug makers about like, look, there are certain things that you can do to mitigate. And so like, have you looked at that? And how does does that provide you comps that you can kind of go into conversations with?
2: Yeah, I mean, so all dog foods or most especially the new modern B2C venture back dog foods, say all advertisers like have a right. longer, healthier life with your dog, right? So that's a very strongly used narrative and also preventative medicine and diagnostics is actually very strong in pet med because there isn't a lot of acute therapeutics for when your dog is old. And also because just like since it's cash pay, there's actually a good incentivization for you to prevent your dog from getting sick because it's really expensive to treat yes. a sick dog. It's much cheaper to prevent the dog from getting sick in the first place, Yeah, yeah. which is another interesting comp to human med where like on average, it's actually very challenging to make a lot of money off of uh, diagnostics, for example.
0: Right. And then what about like when you're looking at like pet insurance? Like, is that also a signal? Like, because I imagine you could look at that and say like, this is coming from a similar place of interest. Like people want to make sure that their dogs, their care is pre- is paid for in advance. Like they're, they're willing to outlay money on a regular basis to ensure the health of their dog. Is that something also that comes up in conversation or
2: no? Yeah, it does. There's pretty low pet insurance in the broader mm-hmm. dog market right now. We're planning to price our products in a way that are cash pay for the majority of Americans. Gotcha. But yeah, it is a good comp in terms of people who are preemptive in thinking about their pet. I mean, I, I looked at Blue Buffalo, which I feed my oh, dog yeah. Blue Buffalo. And it's like, I don't know, like three, two or three bucks a can. And you feed multiple cans a day. And they have an absolutely huge market share. <laughs> Just I like think this I do one do brand. Blue
1: Buffalo treats, like the little chewy, moist yep. treats.
0: Yeah, the training yeah. sheets. So they have good ones. Yeah. Yeah, I do what I I, they got me with the doctor, this hills, hills science, the the, like veterinary exclusive TD dental, both my dogs have been on that since they started and it's a very expensive proposition, (laughs) but it's also operates on that same premise. It's like, hey, you feed them this TD dental, it's good for their teeth. And that way you won't get hit by like huge dental things. It's also good for the gastrointestinal system. Like these things won't come up as like large sticker shop cash pay things later on right?
1: my vet has me brushing jet's teeth with like an enzymatic chicken flavored toothpaste and he has like a little race car toothbrush and he's obsessed with it and i feel like it's such an <laughs> asshole doing it I'm just like, i also come from like a family that like showed dogs and very you know like the older generations like yeah. think of their pets very differently you know what i mean so it's like he's a yeah. dog you know like why are we and so I'm like facetiming my mom while I'm brushing my puppy's teeth and <laughs> she's like what in the world is going on here I'm, like, I'm preventing just- any d- tooth decay <laughs>
2: Here's y'all's scoop. Celine Hollywall, dog CEO, does not brush her dog's teeth.
0: Wow. <laughs> Neither do I. Neither Ant do I. page, yeah. cut
2: <laughs> Well, my vets could
1: do whatever they want with me, literally. My vets could be like, the best thing that you could do is dance around with him like all day long. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> be like, like, like yeah, yeah, like whatever you say. They're like, it'll yeah. be $1,000 to give him this one toy. And I'd be like, okay, fine. Let's just do it. Better safe than sorry. Like that's what they hear me say every time.
0: But I have a somewhat related question for you, Celine. Like when you're recruiting talent, I know you have a lot of, you have veterinary talent and mm-hmm. uh, doctoral talent, scientific talent. Like how do you recruit them in? And like, how's that process been for you? Has it been similar to you? Like you want to chase this carrot of eventually helping human longevity too? Or is it like, Know people really want to help dogs or a mix of both, or how does it go for that?
2: Yeah, we so we actually get a lot of inbound. I think because a lot of people, for a couple of reasons, and it depends kind of on the the person you're talking to, um, on our kind of scientific and aging talent. We have a lot of people who are either at big pharma's working on aging, but they weren't really working on aging. They're kind of just working on, you know, cancer drugs or sarcopenia or whatever. But, uh, you know, one day may be applicable to aging. Right. And to them, I was able to offer, like, hey, we're going to develop a drug that's like, explicitly for aging. And this is the only who's gonna do it. And also like, I'm not going to meddle, like you are the scientist, you lead the way, you want to build a group, right? And that's, that's how great. I got um, our VP of R&D, Michael LaCroix was He started Regeneron's aging group because I was able to sell him on build out your aging dreams. I'm not going to hold you back. I'm only going to push you to be more ambitious. Mm-hmm. And then I think for veterinary medicine... Like, for example, one of our drugs is targeting the mechanism by which we hypothesize causes large dogs to have shorter lifespans. So a great thing may live, you know, seven to nine years on average, while Chihuahua lives 18. And a lot of it e- are obviously very cognizant of that. And the, the ability to like offer something for the first time ever against this thing that breaks large and giant breed dog owners heart. Mm. And again, the freedom to kind of control and, you know, like just be intellectually honest and be like scientifically driven on that it's honestly like a pretty like if i can sell somebody on my thesis it's actually usually a pretty easy sell after that yeah
0: i can imagine yeah especially if you're a practicing vet or whatever like and you're looking around and you're thinking like what can i do that is actually beneficial or that actually like moves the state of the art or the state of the medicine forward there's very few options and and it's like like you said with legacy pharma or legacy like because I experienced this too in this space coverage that I do. Like A lot of the aerospace people are like, I'm not going to go, I don't want to go to Boeing or Lockheed or whatever because they're going to stick me in a room working on some side project that like ultimately ramps to something maybe later on, but it's not what I want to contribute to, right? Where you can say directly, this is what you want to do.
2: Yeah, you have a ton of influence. And the other thing that's really kind of helped, honestly, is so pharma and biotech, and we were talking about veterinary medicine before, They haven't really had this like culture revamp, founder friendly, you know, you know, have your laundry done at the office kind of revolution. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so I can't promise that like, I will build a perfect culture, right? I'm I'm a first time founder, I'm learning constantly, I'm making mistakes constantly, but I can at least offer something different. Like I am not a like middle aged white dude <laughs> who's coming in with the same preconceptions that the majority of other, you know, biotech and pharma CEOs come in with. Like I can promise I'm trying to shake things up and bring a kind of Silicon Valley perspective to how you build a company. And that's actually really um, been key, especially for a number of the women that we've hired. And we have 60 to 70% female team. That's really been a huge thing there is they know that I care about this deeply and personally.
0: If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. We're gonna offer you 50% off either a one year or a two year subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering. And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry, You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to ExtraCrunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, Follow the links for Extra Crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found, the name of this podcast, during checkout and you'll get 50% off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription. You mentioned mistakes. I do want to hear about those mistakes, Celine. <laughs> oh,
2: you, geez.
0: <laughs> do any come to mind? Like, how has it been for you just starting a business? Like, where were... Did you have any moments where you're just like, oops, like not... That will do that again.
2: <laughs> For context, this is the, the biggest company I've ever worked at. Uh, really kind of my first full-time job was being Laura Demings associate to the staff, venture partner, you know, the titles right. changed, yeah. but basically just like working with her on building a longevity fund. And I never thought I was going to be a I mean, we talked about before. Right? I didn't kind of grow up reading the PG essays and, you know, dreaming of getting into YC one day or whatever. I really didn't have, I actually um, give a lot of credit to Laura and Greg Rosen who kind of both pushed me that I could be a founder and could be a good founder, could be excellent founder. I, I really never like thought that for myself. <laughs> so, what, what are my mistakes, Scott? <laughs> there are a lot. I'm just trying to think of one like, interesting to the broader population. That must population. be a
1: good feeling. You asked yeah. Yeah. Like a list of my mistakes, so I'd be like, we're gonna need some time. Sure. Like,
0: to <laughs> be much like, time I dwell do on have? them constantly. Well, uh, so
2: I, I let me just take you into my dreams
1: my- last night. <laughs>
2: I have my professional flaws, like actually on my website, which underlie a number of (laughs) issues that I have. I think like one challenge that I've had, and I don't know if it's like a specific example. So in biotech and pharma before you don't really have the startup culture. And you also need to have people who have like very specific expertise, right? It's like, you literally will need to spend decades to have the context for like how to develop an anal drug or whatever, right? So I'm trying to Hire people who have a lot of context and then bring them into a startup environment, which they've almost certainly never been kind of right. incubated, was the uh, or like brainwashed or whatever <laughs> <laughs> to go work under somebody who in their like mid 20s uh, on a crazy startup that like may or may not make it. And so, I've gotten, I, I think, maybe like a thing to focus on is like how, like communicating that in a very accurate way right. and the pros and cons of that in an accurate way. And then facilitating everybody for like the rapid growth, both personally and that the company has, as we have, right. Like we were three people when the pandemic started, we we're like 34 or something wow. now, which feels like a lot to me and I'm, I'm sure like you know more senior ceos are like laughing um <laughs> but like, we've changed so much and we've made a lot of mistakes and like, kind of like incubating people's idea to like yes like things are going to break like we've reset our goal structure like, 10 times or something and our meeting yeah. structure like a hundred times and it's a preempting and like having empathy with like what everyone from different backgrounds like how they'll see what those things look like and to making sure that people don't you know worry or have context also like i'm very like transparency is super important to me but one thing i've learned is like it takes It's actually harder to be transparent. Mm. It takes a very specific effort and thought. And especially when you have, we have so many different skills. We have a comp bio team, we have a clinical operations team, we have a standard operations team, we have an R&D team. We have all these different things. And so like getting them to even speak the same language and then be up to date on what everything's going on and it intersect well is a huge challenge that we constantly face and it constantly breaks every time the team grows more.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense cuz transparency I think a lot of people think is like it's a value at a lot of tech companies I think that people have but it's also if you if you don't really investigate it or think about what it means it can be very easy to do poorly cuz transparency is not just like Everyone say what they're doing all of the time because that doesn't make any sense to anyone.
2: <laughs> that was our version of transparency for a long time. And then we're like, wow, why are we setting this hour-long meeting walking through our to-do list? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it can bog down meetings huge. I've seen it cause a lot of misunderstanding where people will interpret as like, this person's just making up all this stuff, like saying a laundry list of things so that I get the impression that they are expending effort, but, but it's like, no, they really are. You just don't speak that language. Right. So, Yeah. but also to your other point, like it's hard enough to build a company when you're recruiting people from sort of like, like situations and saying, okay, like come in here and you know what, you know, the deal, like it's a startup, things are going to break. It's going to change day to day and whatever. But to do that with people who are v- probably very process oriented and very used to like rigid hierarchies, and structure that is ossified because it's been in its place for so long and then to be like this might totally be not the way we do things in a couple of weeks welcome yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting how much of subtle like everybody who like joins loyally like obviously opts into that culture and it, yeah, people have done an amazing job of kind of addressing. but it's like it's amazing how it'll like sneak in in little ways right like somebody, you know, doing tons of work to avoid spending twenty thousand dollars, like just spend the twenty K. But of course, <laughs> if you're coming from academia and you've been in academia yes. for 10 years where you're like fighting over every dollar, like you won't even realize it's a bias you have and like reassessing things for first priors and like why does doing X take so long? Well often things take that long because we have like, you know, timeline bloat kind of forced into everything in pharma because there's there, there's not a like a startup need for speed and like cutting that out and like reassessing like what you always thought was true. It's an awesome skill set, but it, it, it's definitely like a challenge. But I think it's also something I'm really excited about is the idea of kind of helping incubate more scientists with this startup mindset. Like one of my meta goals of loyal is to have, you know, a loyal mafia one day of people who go and build these kind of like Silicon Valley style biotech startups with this kind of like you know, tough way of looking at things. So it's super fun. Like I love doing it, but it's definitely makes it harder.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, it's almost like having another job on top of it, right? Like, are you institutionalizing it in some way? Or do you get support maybe from your investors or somebody else? Like, where do you turn for how to do this effectively and for good examples of it? And then how do you kind of like, how do you make it so that you you're not reinventing the wheel every time you have to do this again, I guess?
2: I wouldn't say we have the perfect process yet. One of the things I do is I just give a lot of meta talks on company stuff. For example, it was like previous fundraising rounds gave context like what's a venture capitalist? What do they care about? What am I optimizing for? You know, why do I like talk in this way when I talk to a VC and this way when I talk to you? And like why am I gonna go like disappear for three weeks? And like things like that. And that's worked really well so far. And also just again like a lot of like asynchronous like third party source information, you know, books on it. Just like again, like they wouldn't will not have heard of like the canonical like startup literature and just like Giving it to them. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 yeah. That must be interesting. I would love for you to collect their notes and then publish those. Because I <laughs> I want to see like a about eva- research scientist evaluation of the like, whatever hard thing about hard things or whatever the other canonical books. <laughs> <I've ever>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think people find it like very like, freeing, actually, because yeah. um, it's like, f- like hierarchy. So one of the reasons I did not last at Oxford, you know, thankful for what they did for me, but was because it was so hierarchical. And I have this like very explicit memory of getting in trouble because I talked to my boss's boss about something instead of talking to my boss first. And like, you know, it's just like, the stuff is just so like calcified into the culture. And yeah. so here it's like, I like literally don't care who you are, like if you're an <laughs> intern and you see something, like I hope you tell me because I want to know, right? Like right. the number of the letters behind your name don't matter. Your context matters, but you can get that in any which way.
1: And Daryl, for what it's worth, you can just go right over my head. Like I don't even need to hear from you.
0: Jordan would prefer (laughs) that you do. Yeah, (laughs) leave me out of it.
1: Just I don't want to (laughs) talk.
0: I remember having those conversations too. And even I always name my former employers in this. Anyways, (laughs) you can look up my CV. You'll know where it is. But like these. People will say like, oh, well, aren't you mad that like, like they didn't, they didn't go to me first. And then I should relay that information to you because they're my employee, my direct report. And I was like, no, I want all the information and in no matter what way it comes to me, as long as there's useful information, right? Like, why are you being precious about the conduit for it? Right. And I can see about like. Okay, well, I mean, we need we need to enforce structure in some ways so that we so that authority is maintained and like you need that flow to work. And but I think people give people there's, they don't give people enough credit. They think like, oh, well, people won't recognize yeah. the differences. If there's a breakdown here, there's a breakdown over here. It's like no, it's not it's not an absolute thing, right? Like people people can recognize that. People are subtle and intelligent and advanced and can make distinctions about when things matter and don't matter.
2: right? Yeah. Right. I really hate like being paternalistic mm, <laughs> with the yeah. team members. It's just, like, also like I just feel awkward doing it because everybody on my, almost everybody on my team has, you know, much more experience than I have and they're insanely smart in like whatever niche they're on. And like, me coming in and being like super paternalistic it's just like kind of insulting <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah yeah I'm sure your employees appreciate that too but I, like how does that go when you explain like the process of fundraising for example like is it just, is it because I imagine that would be where you really explain the value right especially to people with a range of experience and a lot more experience when you're explaining those they must really see like oh this is the value that Celine brings to the team is handling these things that are so far outside of my context and that require a very specific skill set or is that, is that like kind of where you establish your authority or how do you do that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess I think the way to think about it is skills. So I, I am technical, right. I worked in labs yep. for years and I was kind of playing a technical longevity fund. But I think what I realized is that my kind of unique skill set, and this has kind of been the meme of my career in general, is like bringing the intersection of different areas where often people don't have that context. Right. So I was able to bring, you know, technical aging context and, you know, drug development experience and whatnot. Plus venture capital, plus just like transparently, like the personality to be a founder. Like, I'm actually a pretty canonical founder personality, <laughs> which I, I think throws people off sometimes. You often don't see it in a woman working on like a weird, like deep tech thing. But and I was able to bring all three of those together and then again, like really facilitate something being built around this idea and in the growth of it. I, I really think the like, primary risk of this company is not necessarily like technical or scientific. Like, there's definitely something out there that will extend dog lifespan. Like, dog lifespan is extendable. Like, this is, it's very, very unlikely that it's not.
0: And there's right? been probably very little investigation into it thus far, right? So it's like, there's yes, we have yeah, to find it, it. We just have to look, right?
2: It's an open field. So it's really yeah. more like, how good are we making decisions? You know, how good is the team that I hire? How well do we execute? How well do we think through an experiment before we spend five hundred thousand dollars in six months on it? It's really the operational side of the science and that's something that again like kind of breaking things down to the, like the, the basic pieces and really understanding the assumptions that were coming in it was like that's really like this the thing that i was able to like kind of bring to the company culture and now like the, the other leaders in the company like they they represent that more than i do and i kind of work on some of the more higher level stuff now but that was really important and kind of again just like facilitating an environment where somebody could work on a dog aging drug mm-hmm. like it, it sounds obvious but it's like there's not that many places to work on something like that right yeah. Right? Like that, again, this would never fit in pharma. It wouldn't fit in academia. Like you kind of had to have a startup context with somebody who's like very mission motivated by it.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a bit more about kind of like where you're at with the size, Because I've noticed you can register your dog. So you're actually calling for open participants in the healthspan study that you have ongoing
2: yeah so that's our observational clinical study so there's no drug involved in that one
0: Mm, okay okay so but what's involved in that once people sign up like basically they just report kind of like details about their dog on occasion or how does that work
2: no so the healthspan study is actually um it's kind of a one-time point study where we're looking at various aging biomarkers so kind of different you know blood protein levels whatnot that are thought to be associated or drivers of aging in young and old, large and small dogs cross sectionally. So you can compare. Again, the hypothesis is that large dogs not only have shorter lifespans, they actually age faster. And kind of comparing that against a, a small dog of the same size might give some interesting insights on the aging biology. It was also just a way to test our hypothesis of can you bring a consumer D to C feel to pharma? Yeah. And how do people feel about that? And TLDR, <laughs> they actually really like it. Uh, <laughs> when it's something like this, where it's very positive, right? Like the idea of like, Understanding dog aging and making your dog live longer. It's not, you know, a cancer drug or something where kind of a consumer D2C marketing would be incredibly tacky. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and we found like a really positive response to that. And so yeah, people can register. We take blood, saliva, a few other samples, you fill out a quality of life survey, things like that at participating sites. And we've actually had a collaboration going this week with Muttville, which is a senior dog rescue in San Francisco. So people who either adopted a dog from Muttville or just kind of in the community have been bringing their dogs to participate in the health Fan study all week.
0: Like overall your branding seems very consumer, like it seems very approachable from a consumer perspective. Right. But like, as of right now, what are the touch points? The touch points are essentially the study, but it seems like you're really setting it up for this. will continue on into when we yeah. actually have the direct relationship. So like, are there stages between then and like you go and you actually buy the drugs to for how people can interact with you and, and build like a larger, longer relationship with you?
2: Yeah, so that was kind of one of the other theses of Loyal. So I was, I've been really inspired by, sorry if this is like a tired metaphor, but kind of like SpaceX and the other space companies that they've done such a good job at getting the average person excited about space again and excited yes. about something so deeply technical and getting people to want to build companies in this area and investors to want to invest in this company. And I really want to do the same thing for aging, and I think it's actually eminently possible in dogs for the reasons we talked about before. But again, just like transparently, I don't think there's been a very good communicator who could bring the idea of like aging to the general public in a way that's accessible and not controversial. And so really, that's why the consumer marketing, it's something we've invested in from like day one. Because again, like even if loyal just like implodes and we fail, like if we can incubate the average person with the idea that like, oh, maybe my dog doesn't have to get sick at, you know, this age or doesn't have to have like this long tail out where he's in pain before he passes away, that's really, really powerful because then they'll start eventually thinking about it for themselves too, which will be a huge frame shift in how people think about you no know, drug development for humans.
0: Yeah. Nice. So is it, do you imagine the brand actually continuing in? Like, have you thought about yeah. like it going, it moving to humans eventually down the road or you're thinking that far out or yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, to be really very transparent, yeah. my life goal <laughs> is to build an aging focused pharmaceutical company, like how Moderna like, has captured this interest and captured the market and captured everything about mRNA therapeutics. I really want to do that for aging. And aging is a massive field. There's not going to be one winner. I think there's going to be more aging companies than our oncology companies one day. But I really, I really want to build a freestanding company in this space that does canine drugs and also does human drugs. And actually everything we learn in dogs, in addition to helping dogs and getting drugs to market, will tell us a lot. About human aging. Uh, dogs are pretty canonically considered one of the best models of human aging because we've co evolved with them, because they've shared an environment with us, and environmental factors are actually huge in a lot of aging mechanisms, mm, yes. and because they develop the same age related diseases that we do at approximately the same time point in our life, with the, the only exception being cardiac disease because they don't, you know, shovel <laughs> McDonald's every day. Well, as a ver- <laughs> not all of them do. Um,
0: I know a certain dog in the neighborhood that definitely does <laughs> do. <laughs>
2: well then your dog's an even better model of human aging Uh, but yeah so we'll we'll learn a lot if we're actually successful developing an aging drug for dogs
0: yeah that's cool i mean to me the only thing that i would if if i was an investor i would be like i want you to be doing more Uh (laughs) i want you i want you to be doing more in terms of like i know that all investors don't want you to be doing more all over the place but like i'm already so eager to engage with your brand based on what you've presented me that i want like more opportunities to do so right so i feel like Do you ever get that, that like you're leaving stuff on the table by not like moving more quickly there? Obviously, investors want everybody to move quickly and then also focus and do everything else. But I was going to
2: say, I think it's the thing that my investors have told me is that they feel like they're at a speed break for me because (laughs) I also want to do everything. Like, I, it's like this aging thing. It's like, it's kind of like, you know, we understand it in Silicon Valley. And I I use Silicon Valley as like the description of like tech world, basically. Like, it's very like a common idea. It is not common anywhere else. Like people, like, again, the average person has never like thought or like really conceptualized that aging might be druggable. It's such a huge opportunity that we're only at the very early stages of. And like my number one source of anxiety (laughs) is not taking advantage of this insight to build something massive because i I don't think i'll have an insight this cool ever again like this is my one shot (laughs) (laughs) and so i yeah i i totally agree with you and i am actively working on ways to build on this more
0: cool but i do i do see the go slow to go fast part of it too because yeah the, the counter argument that we've already talked about a bit is is just the specter that already exists like you have to undo a lot of the damage that's already been done unfortunately before you you move forward because of the way that it's been framed thus far.
2: Yeah. And you have to be, I mean, you, there's a lot of moral responsibility when you're building in biotech. I mean, we are literally developing products that will go into people's dogs and we, we only work on drugs that are exceedingly, exceedingly safe. We're like, the really it's only upside and very minimal downside, but still, you know, things go wrong. Biology is hard. And, you know, so you have to be very careful and very conscientious, but Yeah. I also think it's like not conscientious and not run fast, right? Because every yeah. time you're not running fast, there is a loss of life from the lack of an available therapeutic, which is something that people don't calculate and think about because nobody's directly responsible for it, yeah. but it's actually a massive loss of life.
0: Yeah. And especially if it's addressable and people are just kind of like hesitant to address it because of taboo or whatever other reasons. Right. So,
2: yeah, I mean, the COVID vaccine stuff is a really good example of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you I, I haven't done the math. I'm, I'm sure people have done studies like earlier approval, earlier like more risk taking quote unquote might have saved more lives, right? But yeah. of course they're not going to do that because if it's like one person dies of an adverse event, you know, a regulatory agencies on the hook for that versus they're not on the hook for thousands and thousands of people dying of COVID or getting long COVID or having blood clots or whatever.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not sure.
1: like a reward or positive based incentive situation. It's like, yeah. you know, only the bad stuff counts.
0: Avoid risk. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that you help dogs very quickly because I want my dogs to live longer and uh, I want to yeah, get these Yeah, this is drugs giving me a ton of ASAP. anxiety, to be <laughs> honest.
1: Like, I, but I like also that I feel like that is the new persona I've taken on as a dog mom, where like she's not even six months mom. old. Yeah, and I like will wake mortality. up in the middle of the night and be like, he'll die one day. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, it's
0: like so far off. But
1: yeah, figure that out. I want him to outlive me, please.
0: Yeah, this is a big winner. It's like, even if it has the potential, the potential to do good and just doesn't cause harm, right? It doesn't even need to be, I think, like 100%. It's just like something that could help.
1: Just take my money, Celine.
2: Yeah,
0: please, please, right now.
2: You guys should join our clinical studies or I register know. to sign up for them. They're starting next year.
0: All right. Well, we will. Okay. I, well, I'm in Canada, so I don't know if that that might block it. but
2: we'll, we'll shuffle not. your dog across, across the, the border. The border. Yeah. <laughs> FDA, you didn't hear that.
1: <laughs> Play a little game of fetch, quote unquote.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: That's great. Uh, but thanks very much, Lee. This was fantastic. I really thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, really appreciate you coming on to the show.
2: Yeah, you too, guys. Thank you.
0: Okay, so that was our conversation with Celine Hollywa, CEO and founder at Cellular Longevity. And as you heard during the show while we were recording, loyal for dogs. Jordan, what did you think about our conversation with Celine?
1: I mean, I really related to past Celine, not current Celine. I mean, she talked about- Because
0: current Celine is successful.
1: Yeah, exactly. Current Celine (laughs) has got her Together. Pasolene didn't. So that was nice. That's aspirational. And then I liked the bit where I'm not, you know, I'm not the science y one of the two of us, right? Like that's really your domain. So I felt a little bit excluded in science. (laughs) More degrees than a thermometer. (laughs) Zero. I felt like a little bit excluded, but there were certain things that really grounded me. Like when she was talking about how, like, her ultimate goal is to do this for humans and that the wedge with dogs makes a lot of sense just because we've essentially had dogs domesticated for hundreds of years, thousands of years, whatever. And that we share a lot of the same kind of like traits and environments and all of those things. So I felt part of what I enjoyed about our conversation is how she was able to bring something relatively complex and scientific down to earth. And that's also just a useful tool for founders in general, right? Like a lot of you guys are building really complex things, sometimes not, but sometimes yes. And the ability to bring it down to someplace that's really relatable and understandable is a useful tool. I feel like Celine kind of nailed that. Yeah. I also liked everything she had to say about being a leader, right? Like how you need to trust your employees, like trust that they're smart, that they can make decisions on their own. Like, I feel like that's where we're headed generally, if not like straight up corporate culture then in startup culture and SMBs and stuff like that. And eventually I think it'll trickle out to corporate and i really liked her thoughts on on some of that stuff as well
0: yeah yeah her stuff on about that and about culture mixing with like people who are coming from very different industries and coming into a startup context is super useful and and applies not just in the context of like biologists or veterinarians but across the whole range of industries right it's like startup businesses need to get their talent from somewhere and a lot of times there's a lot of great legacy talent in existing institutions but they're not going to be super familiar with the kind of like startup vibes of how to do things and i think her tips on like how to integrate those cultures are really useful for everybody same great that is it our (laughs) episode give us all the good stars since we did a good communication job yeah
1: we did it was great
0: as one might (laughs) say so hot so hot in this room okay we're done Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl etherington and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Ashad kulkarni and edited by Grace Mendenhall and Maggie Stamitz is our associate producer. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit, Our guest this week was Celine Hollywa, founder and CEO at Cellular Longevity, formerly known as Loyal, which is still a product the company makes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and on Twitter at twitter.com slash bound. You can also email us at bound at techcrunch.com and call us and leave us a voicemail at 510-936-1618 for your chance to be heard on air. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.